Modern Figures Podcast, a show where we're elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. We're your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen. This podcast is sponsored by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, or NCWIT. NCWIT is a nonprofit organization that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase participation of all women in the field of computing. Kyla and I are representatives of the Institute for African American Mentoring and Computing Sciences, or IMCS, which serves as a national resource for Black and African American students, faculty, and industry professionals in computing. Special thanks goes to our listeners who contribute to the podcast by supporting our online store, which you can find at our website, www.modernfigurespodcast.com. All right, so today we have a super special guest. We have Dr. Colleen Lewis all the way here from Harvey Mudd. Woo woo. Hey, Colleen. <laughs> Howdy. So Colleen is an associate professor of computer science, and she researches computer science education as well as curriculum development. She does amazing work in the area of gender and diversity issues in CSED or computer science education. And she specifically looks at how programming environments shape perception, learning, and goals. She studies attrition, Mm. um, specifically paired programming, and how effective is that in terms of informs blah, blah, blah. It can be a hot mess about pair programming. That's the short story. <laughs> just like, oh. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Have you ever tried to share a computer with somebody? Right. It can be a hot mess. Yeah. It feels like growing up, you can't share a toy with someone and you both are trying to do the same thing. But <laughs> and then I... we're like, hey, adults, share this computer. <laughs> I think you can share a toy with somebody. I don't. I feel like that's a thing. You like, need to yeah. have specific goals for the sharing, I think. Like, and that's why pair <laughs> programming has like roles. So it's like oh, one person is yeah. doing one thing and then you switch often. There you go. So yeah. pair programming, we talked about that. Colleen's also the creator of csteachingtips.org. We'll talk about it a bit later. She's an awesome ally mm. uh, in terms of gender and diversity in CS. And I'm just going to stop talking about her because she's going to talk now. Yeah, because she's here. Because <laughs> she's here. And cool. she can talk about herself. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Colleen. Hey. Hi. Uh, yeah. Oh, you want me to say stuff about myself? Can we talk? <laughs> can we talk first about uh, how I'm like, team? This podcast is about elevating the voices of Black women, mm-hmm. and um, you might see in the photo that I'm not a Black woman. I'm a white woman. <laughs> you know what no. I mean? <laughs> Colleen, I love your email when we wanted you to be on, and uh, Jasmine, I believe, sent you the email, and you said, um, "I know Kyla and Jeremy very well, and I think they know that I'm not a Black woman." <laughs> And so I feel like, oh, I think that the the role I should just play is if I'm really all about elevating the voices of black women, I should just try not to talk. So you guys will ask oh questions gosh. and then I'll just sit here silently. We've, Deal? We've talked about this. Yeah. Like, no, you have to talk because we're interviewing you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay, we've been through this, Colleen. Like an allyship is a huge area as well. It's an ecosystem for, you know, getting the voices of black women out there. And you're amazing mm-hmm. at that. I know you don't like to hear people tell you that, but you are. Yes. Thanks. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. But do you want me to talk about myself now? Yeah. So like growing up, cause you are a woman yeah. in computing, which is it's, another, it's true. Uh, can I say large minority? I don't know. But, uh, well, did anything, well, I have a question. Yeah. So yeah. I know we talked earlier and you said your PhD is in education. Mm-hmm. Does that mean your other degrees are NCS? 
Yeah. So I did undergrad in electrical engineering and computer science at Berkeley. And then I worked as a software engineer for a little while. And then I went back to grad school and I did a master's in computer science and a PhD in education. So it was a joint program being like, oh, yo, what if we research the learning of computer science at the college level? So it's like, oh, maybe a master's in CS and a PhD in education would be like the right type of training to do that. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. It's so much fun. Do you know how people learn things and how people feel about learning things? It turns out is really fascinating. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds fascinating. Yeah. 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 So Kyla was going to ask you more about like how you got into that space. Yeah. But, like. What led you down that path? I think a lot of it is super, super random. So I met this woman named Irene in my physics class in college. So I was like into the STEM sort of stuff. I was like math and science. Cool, cool, cool. Um, And so I took like the required classes. So in my physics class, I met someone named Irene. And she was going to be a computer science major. And I was not, you know, I had no particular plans. And so after our first semester, we like studied together a lot in that physics class and our math class. And then she was like, oh, Colleen, you know, there's this class I'm taking next semester. I think you're really going to like it. It's this CS class, like the intro one. And I was like, oh, for sure not. (laughs) Uh, Irene, like this CS stuff, that's for smart people. Like that's not for me. Do you know what I mean? You have to be like super smart. What were you majoring in? I was just, I I was engineering undeclared. So I was going to like pick an engineering field. But like one for less smart smart people. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So now you understand. smart engineering. Got it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Jeremy's like, no, it makes no sense. Just humor her. Um, yeah, but so luckily uh, she sort of dragged me kicking and screaming. So on the first day of my computer science class, they give you a pa- uh, paper with your login and password. And I type in my login and then I try and top in, type in my password. But instead of having the little stars appear when you type your password, nothing appeared. Uh-oh. And I was like, ooh. And it's just a security mechanism so people don't know how long your password is. Yeah. But I'm like... We just got here and have broken the computer. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like looking around and I'm like, honey, Irene, we're the only people who don't know what we're doing. One, I'm kind of a jerk to Irene. And I realize this in retrospect because I'm like, we don't know what we're doing. You know, but it just, yeah, I feel like without her sort of persistence, it, it wasn't great. And when I tried to take a computer science class the next semester without her, it didn't go great. Oh, it didn't it didn't go great mm. yeah yeah we can we can dig into that because i feel like there are just ups and downs in every in every story yeah for sure but it seems to be uh, an irene in every story too yeah there <laughs> really true. is so when i am mentoring students they're like so you're telling me i need to find my irene and i'm yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah. Was she, Finding was irene she, was she nice <laughs> Like oh, as a yeah. person. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. Oh. Like the best of people. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we all need And that. real, real stubborn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually do know exactly what you mean. Like yeah. it's an important set of characteristics to be like, no, we're you're not, you're not dropping this class. Right. All of my Irene's are like that. Yeah. And I didn't know how to study. And she was like, oh, Colleen, we're going to do the odd problems in the math book. And I was like, oh, we are? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, la, la, la. And then she was like, Colleen, you're chit-chatting too much. I'm going to set a timer for 25 minutes. Then we can take a five-minute break, and I, you're allowed to talk. I think I might be Irene. That's hilarious. <gasps> that is hilarious. That's real good. It's Irene's add a lot of value. Like, I wouldn't have, would I have gotten anything done? Would I have graduated from college? Like, for my sure. whole family appreciates Irene and the role she played. <laughs> right. <clears throat> 
I remember distinctly um, my Calc 3 class. Nobody wanted to do any of the work. And I was like, no, we're doing this. <laughs> and like they wouldn't even go to class. So I would just have my own class after class and go through the material with them. And then we would do the homework. And you're like, we're doing this. We're yeah. doing this material. Yeah. yeah. What a gift. Yeah, that was not me. I was the Colleen in that situation yeah. where I was just like, what? Yeah. Huh? What are yeah, we they doing? didn't like me very much this? during no. that time period. It's love. It's love, not yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of value for the Irenes, too, because at the end, when they pass, when the Colleens make it, yeah, it's like, I had a hand in that. No, I think yeah. she knows. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. I definitely have an Irene, but my Irene's a guy. But same sort of thing. Like, all right, we need to take these classes. We need to do this. What time's good for you for study group right now? Okay, perfect. (laughs) It was was awesome. Definitely would not have made it through college the way that I did without Mm. him. So, Colleen, quick question. So, you said, you know, you were always into STEM. Like, did your parents, like, do anything in that area? Or, like, what... Gave you that confidence to want to go into STEM? Yeah, you know, um, my parents are psychologists. They're not in the STEM space. And actually, my dad is, yeah, he might hear this, but he's just the worst, <laughs> like the worst, the worst at using computers. Aww. Like just the worst. And um, and my mom is like a tech early adopter. Do you oh. know what I mean? So like, well, they're perfect then. Yeah. And so I think it was just like, oh, if, you know, there's the broader... Uh, sort of national stereotype about like oh men do computers but certainly in my home if you had a question about something technical you were going to ask my mom mm-hmm. and so I think that um, might have played sort of a protective factor in thinking about like my sense of my gender and its interaction with this space of t- technology and computer science mm-hmm. and stuff like that um, but I just think it was super fun I think reading was really really hard so I went to school in California when they thought let's not teach kids the sounds of letters mm. instead let's teach kids whole language so it's like Ew. it's more authentic they're reading real words and so mm. i literally can't sound out words what yeah <laughs> yeah it didn't go great and so i can like oh, read no. but basically everything's a sight word so mm. this was like oh my goodness california reading education so in the challenging. 80s yeah. do you know that letters have sounds <laughs> Well, yeah, from earlier, I was trying to pronounce a long word that's very common in, like, the educational space. Yeah. And I literally had to think of what it looked like to be able to pronounce it. Yeah. But you couldn't do that. No. Because you don't know what the structure... That's nuts. It's real embarrassing. I was pronouncing phenomenological. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot going on. Yeah. And so, like, (laughs) I had to, like, break it down. So that I would be able to say it, but you can't do that. That's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you say those things? No, you just. I just have to like. You just have to hear someone say it. Basically, yeah. basically. Yeah, there's certain words. It's that I've really seen embarrassing written. with people's names too, oh. because yeah. you think that you could be able to like sound out someone's names, and I think I need to like learn some new strategies because I feel like as an adult, this should be a skill that I like yeah. should work on because I think it would be helpful to me in <laughs> my life. Like names of restaurants can be really embarrassing. And so like I can often get a pretty good guess if I really spend some time on it. Hmm. But like I, I was into STEM. I wasn't into computers, and I think computers aren't that fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't (laughs) want to touch them or spend time with them particularly. They're not your friend. They're not. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not that into it. But I feel like uh, 
computer science is really fun because, you know, in biology, you learn all these words about things like, yep. say, how the cell works. It's mm -hmm. like words and they're they have particular behavior and then they interact with other things that have particular behavior. Mm -hmm. But there you have to learn new words. And in computer mm -hmm. science, it's the same idea, but they're words you already know. Mm, it's a cue. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. something, you know, it's uh, it's a buffer. And so you're learning new definitions of words you already know and then the behavior they have and then how they interact with other systems. So I think it's actually a lot like learning biology, just with fewer new words. So biology was a thing for you. Oh, like the the words of it you can imagine didn't go great. Oh yeah, oh, my <laughs> but gosh. the actual like studying of biology was something that you were passionate about. Oh no, I just think like it's also Any, fun. Anything STEM, yeah. Yeah, and I think like if I hadn't become if Irene hadn't been a computer scientist mm -hmm. and I hadn't found that Irene, um, I think like how systems work is really interesting. Like how restaurants are able to produce food. Mm -hmm. Like managing all these people together where everybody has a role and trying to do things efficiently. I think that stuff, that sort of stuff is really interesting. And, and for me is really similar to like how computers work and how cells work. Yeah. That's cool. I definitely get you on that one. Because if I was com was in computer science, I was looking to change in grad school to industrial engineering. So I'm like, I like systems, processes, workflows. Right. And I would throw on some, yeah. some math in there. Yeah. I'm in. I'd be a singer. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That's what I do. I would have just gone AWOL, <laughs> full-on creative, and just walked away. And that's fine, too. Yeah. All right, so got to love the Irenes of this world, but what happens when you don't have an Irene? You want to talk about it's a that? a hot uh... mess. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that course go when you didn't have her? Yeah, so I was like, oh, I'm really liking this stuff. Let me try and take this CS class without Irene. Not a great idea. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever stood five or six weeks into a class and just been like, well, I see the path I'm on and I'm definitely going to fail this class. Just like yep. for Help sure. To. For sure. Yep. Saw it. I didn't fail, but yeah. it felt like it. Yeah. And see, I was able to late drop. Mm. Add Irene's English class that actually she was taking at the same time. <laughs> the professor signed my late ad class because I think he thought I had been in the class the whole time. I had not. Wow. But then I was able to drop this CS class so that I didn't lose my financial aid. Oh, awesome. That's real, real nice. Yeah. <clears throat> and so then the next semester, Irene was like, okay, I'm going to take it this semester. Like, let's do this. <laughs> I was resistant, but Irene's real stubborn. So right. I take it. The first exam. I get a five out of 25 Whoa. and you're like oh my gosh was it an unfair test no I no I wouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah I just didn't know it at the time you know and yeah. like things take time to learn and uh the fun thing though is I went back to grad school at UC Berkeley and I taught that class three oh, times wow. and you could be like Berkeley has really low standards for their teaching. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. But it was no. just like, oh, I didn't know it then, but I just didn't know it yet when I got tested mm -hmm. on it. Eventually I know it. And now it's like, oh, it seems so easy now. It's hard to remember how it would be hard. Yeah. 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 But there were some low points and you can imagine, uh, say you were my friend at the time, would you be like, Colleen, you like this hasn't been going great. Like you might consider not computer science. Like yeah. that might be the sort of what people perceive as the humane advice. Um, but I feel like, oh, I love computer science. Like I think it's super, super fun. And there were some setbacks along the way, but it didn't mean I couldn't do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's how I always feel. Like it's not a question of like actual education or talent or ability. You just need to learn the things yeah. so you can figure it out. Yeah. Learn the things. 
So did, did Irene tell you to go to grad school too? Is that how this happened? Oh, that's a good question. No. So <laughs> I was living with two, I was working as a software engineer and I was living with two people. One was my sister. One was uh, our other friend who were both doing a PhD in education at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And so we would like sit around and talk about education research and we would like talk about the data that they were collecting and analyzing and how do people reason about negative numbers, fascinating stuff like that. And so there was a Berkeley hmm. program that was joint between computer science and education. And so I applied to that, but I actually kept working as a software engineer. So yeah. I kept working 15 hours a week and they were wow. like, oh, Colleen, if you want to drop out of grad school at any point in time, just let us know and we'll put you back up to full time. And so I just sort of dipped my toe in it because I feel like there's no shame in dropping out of grad school. Mm -mm. Like there shouldn't be. There shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. Or at least I didn't feel any pressure to stay in grad school. I was like, I'm going to give this a try and see if I like it. And it turned out I really liked it. It was, I think it's really fun to sit around and think about how people learn computer science and how people feel about learning computer science. Yeah. It like worked out for me, but did I wasn't you, sure. Did they sponsor you to go to school or? So my first semester, I had some funding to go to school, but then after that, I was TAing. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's not, it's a like, it's a riskier thing to do than a lot of CS PhDs that are just fully funded typically. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't often know that like, oh, you get paid to go to grad school in computer science. Well, I didn't realize that there were programs like the one that you were in. That's pretty, yeah. pretty ama amazing. I think so. I yeah. think it's really fun to sit around and think about how people learn things. And, but it's unique in that it was like specific towards a discipline. And I don't see that very frequently yeah. Yeah. i know there's some like science education and math education related things but mm -hmm. not like computer science or civil engineering or electrical engineering like i don't know of any other programs that do that yeah, yeah. and actually at the time because people could do a, it chemistry plus education or civil engineering plus education or math plus education um at, in the program at berkeley uh -huh. called sesame uh but people were like, Colleen, this CS thing is pretty weird, right? Because I started grad school <laughs> in 2007, and yeah. they were like, this is not uh, a thing. Are you sure you don't want to do yeah. like physics yeah. education or math education? And I was like, oh, no, I'm kind of into this CS education thing. Uh, so I stuck with it, and actually the community has grown a ton. Yeah, you were and, ahead of your time. Uh, yeah, thank you. you yeah. Are. yeah. You you still are. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, mm -hmm, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also with my fashion sense, is that what you think? Oh, Absolutely. No. I, I love this shirt. I love this yes. shirt that I'm wearing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's wearing one Mom. of our shirts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're at Harvey Mudd now, mm -hmm. and I really like the fact that, you know, you have a combined program that combined engineering and education, and Harvey Mudd has a very unique approach to undergrad teaching. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, totally. And also, Harvey Mudd's known for having a lot of women in computer science. Mm. <clears throat> so our graduating class from last year was over half women. Um, wow. And cool. so every it's a small school, so just 800 to 850 students total. And it's in California. Yeah. In California, east of L.A. Ooh. And everybody at the college majors in science, engineering, or math, mm -hmm. or computer science included in those sciences. Uh, and then we're co-located with four other undergraduate institutions, so it's about a total of 7,000 students. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, so then students can cross-enroll in other courses, and people come to Harvey Mudd and take courses, and our students go other places. But it has this sort of cohort experience, and students take the first three semesters sort of all together, all in the same classes. Everybody's taking chemistry and physics and math and engineering and computer science. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's... Um, it's a little fire hosey, uh, but uh, it has this sort of shared experience and this focus on breadth in STEM and then also uh, 10 non-technical classes to mm. try and understand the 
uh, impact of our work on society. So it's not enough to just be an expert and a leader in STEM if you don't also understand how the world works. Yeah. Um, so it has that. And then Harvey Mudd has been really innovative in even before I got there. So I joined in 2012. So in 2006, there were only uh, 10% of our CS majors identified as women. Wow. Wow. Right. And so they've done a bunch of stuff. So a bunch of community stuff. Uh, so trying to develop students domain identity with computer science, say doing summer research. Another thing is they have, they split the intro course by experience. So mm-hmm. at a lot of schools, you are in the same classroom with someone yeah. who was programming in the womb. Right. And you're like, how am I going to catch up? You know, yeah. that's not going to work out. And that doesn't yeah. make you feel great either. Not right? at all. Yeah. And actually, some of my research uh, looks at this experience of sort of not feeling great. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, thinking about the burden that's placed on people for the dimensions of the stereotype that don't align with their own identities. So thinking about uh you know, as a white woman, my gender identity doesn't align with the stereotype of computer scientists as male. And so I need to create an explanation for why that's okay. It doesn't mean I can't do computer science. And so I have to explain that it's a pattern that computer scientists are men, not a requirement. Mm -hmm. And I have to challenge this idea that men are natural, this false idea that men are naturally better at computer science. And then if you think about my uh, racial identity, so as a white person, I don't have to explain to myself or to other people this lack of fit because uh, computer scientists are stereotyped as white or Asian. And so there are these different dimensions of our identity and the extent to which they fit or don't fit with the stereotypes uh, leads us to have to do some work in explaining this to ourselves and to others. But that doesn't mean that you can't explain it. Right? Exactly. And, so, and yeah. I think rec- the power of recognizing that these, these stereotypes are patterns. Right. And they're not requirements of the field. Being male or white or Asian or antisocial or competitive or all the things that we associate not wanting to shower, like those things do not (laughs) confer an advantage. (laughs) That definitely does not. Right. Right? The latter most definitely does not. Yeah, but even just like people think that being introverted confers an advantage in studying computer science. It's just like, oh, no. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, I like people, so does that mean I now, all of a sudden... Now you don't know how to program. Yeah. Sorry, Kyla. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. But I I think it's important to think about those things as patterns and not Mm -hmm. requirements, because that's what they are. Yeah, and I think students like to put themselves in a box, too, right? Like, we're just kind of prone to that, where it's like, I want to describe myself with certain characteristics, and I'm okay with these characteristics... Beyond that, don't say that's me. Yeah. Like, that's not who I am. Yeah. And I think we're all, you know, even in my 30s, I feel like I'm just trying to figure out who I am, you know, and sometimes these boxes can be kind of helpful for me. Yeah. You know, I think they're safe. They're safe little boxes. Yeah. I don't I don't like to be in a box, though. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody puts baby in a box. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's in the corner. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let me baby. What? Okay. So what what else could you share that maybe um, might help someone who's underrepresented in computing um, feel more confident in that space? Like as an undergraduate student, 
or even as a high school student who's like thinking about going to college and majoring in CS? Yeah, I think um, one piece is that people are like, oh, there's no one who's done this. Like people will say Mm -hmm. that like, oh, Mm -hmm. we would love to hire black women in computing, but there's no black women in computing. And you're like, are you kidding? I know lots of black women in computing. (laughs) I know a lot. And they're amazing. And it's just like, so I think stuff like this podcast is really important for being like, oh, no, you aren't looking. Right. You know, and there's lots. And I think particularly that's important for for students as they're thinking about charting a course that they're not going to be the first person who's tread. And and knowing that and and being able to find even these sort of remote role models, like maybe they'll get to meet you. Maybe they won't get to meet you. But like I think these black women that we know in computing uh, can still be role models. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about CS teaching tips. What are those? So it was an NSF-sponsored project to document and disseminate effective teaching practices. So we wrote about 400 tips based upon previous research in CS Ed, like what are ways to teach it, where do students have trouble. And then we also interviewed 150 computer science teachers. So we've got 1,300 tips online. I'm really passionate about uh, equity and inclusion in computer science, and so we've particularly focused on trying to synthesize and make accessible tips related to equity and inclusion. So we've got these tip sheets around reducing bias in the classroom, lecturing, which really is about promoting practices that have a differential impact for uh, students of color, first-generation college students, uh, and women. And um, and then department inclusivity, like what are the things that you should be doing within your department to try and make it more inclusive? Like the first one for sure is you should be surveying your students. Like you, if you don't have a pulse on your students' experiences, mm-hmm. where are they facing toxic climate? Is it from faculty? Is it from TAs? Is it, for, is it from their peers? If you don't know what's happening, you can't really intervene to address the problem. Interesting. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Would that have like maybe helped in your Irene <laughs> list situation? Like, yeah, and I, I, certainly there are some things where I'm like, oh, I was pursuing ineffective strategies where mm-hmm. I would like when I would when I took this class and nearly failed, I was going to lab, but then getting really high anxiety, and so then just mm. leaving, and I didn't have anyone who was making me stay, and I didn't feel like I belonged in the classroom, and so certainly some of these strategies can help students feel like they belong in the classroom. You know, how do we pair students up and how do we get students to work in groups so that there's community and not competition and not competition. But um, but yeah, I think there's just so many practices that we know are a good idea to use, but but not very many people are using it. And so this CS Teaching Tips project, I really try and make an effort to disseminate this stuff like, oh, maybe don't just lecture. Oh, yeah. So whenever we see Colleen at a conference... (laughs) She's roaming around with a suitcase, essentially. An electric green. She's pimped it out. <laughs> there are LED lights, I'm yeah. assuming. Yep, yeah, And they're, some, sometimes they're blinking. Yes. Yep. And it's like, hey, come get this free stuff. Yeah. Right. Do you want some tips come for teaching, teaching computer tips. science? And yeah. you can phrase it as tips for teaching computer science. But I'm like, oh, these are tips for creating inclusive classrooms. Like, that's, mm. for me, what it's all about. Uh, but, but also to create an inclusive classroom you need to be using effective pedagogy so that like you know what kind of mistakes students might make and not be surprised by them and be ready for to help them understand the content what are some common mistakes that like 
professors make in terms of not having inclusive classrooms or teaching content? Yeah, I think it's really common to um, just lecture the whole time. And even when you when faculty take a two minute break after 20 minutes and just don't do anything, just take a two minute break. Students learn more and retain more. Hmm. And it's just like, oh, let's just get people started there. And, and we can slowly work them to the process of maybe you would ask students to talk to each other during mm-hmm. that two minute break. And maybe you'd even give them a problem to talk about. Mm-hmm. So in my classroom, I lecture for five to 10 minutes and then give them a problem to work on. And then I can walk around and see where they're having trouble on the problem or, oh, no, it's great. We just actually should move on. Um, And so I'm able to get sort of immediate feedback from students. And then, again, it's this type of practice that's differentially impactful for first-generation college students, students of color and women. Another piece that I think faculty do is – they make it like a mystery what they want students to learn. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, like not everybody can read your mind, you know? And like maybe we shouldn't make mind reading like a, a requirement, the, a requirement right. in the class. And so this uh, new buzzword that's that is describes this is transparent teaching. So it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, tell students exactly what you want them to learn and what you want them to be able to do and how what steps they should take to effectively learn that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It sounds like the tips that you have are kind of universal, too. Like, yeah. not yeah. necessarily. Don't tell the NSF, but it turns <laughs> out that they're, <laughs> like, ma- no, 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 it's fine. Uh, I think it turns out they're mainly universal. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. I worked on a course um, last year to, like, teach students how to teach, like, graduate students how mm-hmm. to teach. Not something that faculty typically have the opportunity to get exposure to. Totally. Yeah. And so it's not really surprising, right, when yeah. a when a faculty member doesn't actually use effective strategies for teaching. Yeah. But to have something that's like a repository where they can go and like all that information is synthesized and it's by topic and Totally. Yeah. And I think particularly these one page tip sheets yeah. right now, we have 11 of them. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, just download these 11. Yeah. Could you just read them front to back? Each one only has seven tips on it to try and make it like, oh, this isn't so hard. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's great. Don't you think it's wild how like being a professor is the only job where you don't have to have ever done it before? <laughs> like right? you don't ever have. There's no teaching demonstration a lot of times for being a professor at a research Faculty, I mean, a research institution, which yeah. is crazy. So there should be some kind of help, augmentation. Oftentimes, people don't want anyone to give them feedback. Surprise, yeah. students. Like, your <laughs> faculty member may not have ever taught before. Like, right. that's real. That's yeah. a yeah. real thing. So when faculty actually aren't providing you with the strategies you need to be successful, it's, it's their fault. But it's yeah. also not something that they had to do yeah for training and i think yeah. constructive criticism for anybody is really hard so it's really easy for me to receive constructive criticism from students and be like stupid students they don't know what i need or do you know what i mean yeah. and just like oh, push back life. or like i don't have time for that or yeah. whatever right but, uh so i think about it as i would be really offended if students thought that i didn't care about their learning mm-hmm. and that's core to my identity so when they're critiquing my teaching they're not critiquing this thing that's core to my identity and so it Mm -hmm. makes it easier for me to hear their feedback Mm -hmm. that Colleen you're the worst professor ever because I'm like oh but you know I care (laughs) you know and so I think that uh putting faculty into a position where they can be responsive and open to feedback. And and it's tricky in the structures because there might be consequences for your tenure case or ability to keep your job if your teaching's not good enough. Yeah. I think the other side of that is if a faculty member isn't teaching the way that you need 
to be able to learn, get yourself an Irene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're going back to Irene. Again. I dig yep. it. Yeah. yeah. All roads lead back to Irene. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then we also know that you have this really cool thing that you do called microaggressions the game Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have seen the workshop it is incredibly engaging Mm -hmm. i know kyla sometimes helps lead said workshop as often as i can get her to travel with me (laughs) kyla is my partner in crime in this and it's amazing it's amazing (laughs) yeah yeah so if you've played apples to apples or cards against humanity so the idea is someone pulls a card and it says something like oh she only got the job because she's a woman Mm-hmm. And then everybody in the in a small group says what they would say to respond to it. Uh, and then you pick a winner. And the cards also have my answer. You might not want what a white woman would say, but you <laughs> have it at least gets some of the topics that yeah. are relevant there um, to help people if they're not understanding them. Uh, yeah. And so what would you to say if someone said, oh, she only got the job because she's a woman? Mm. And also, there's a lot of, we always see that it also depends on who said it. Oh, you know, yeah. Because if it's your boss, it's something different than the janitor. So it's like, you know, there's different dynamics. Can this person get me fired? Right. Ooh, Can this yeah. person get me fired? Um, your yeah, relationship. I might tell somebody person. off, <laughs> depending right. on who they are. And but. I was born with a smart mouth. So I'm like, oh, so you got it because you ugly? Like, what is it? I would just have something. My natural inclination is like a response back that's so inappropriate. So that's why we practice. Yeah, sometimes you have to responses. tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think my response would be more along the lines of so, um, based on merit, this person received this job, not mm-hmm. based off of anything that has to do with how they look, what gender they happen to represent what race they are none of those things mattered for the job qualifications right like Mm -hmm. that wasn't one of the qualifications that's not why they got the job and i like extreme sarcasm too and be like oh my gosh do you guys do you think the dean knows that they're just hiring people based on womanhood we should bring this to her attention because this person (laughs) was only hired that sounds like something you would say yeah yeah that's definitely a kyla answer it is yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, and, and everybody that, has different strategies. And I need to play this game so that I can better channel Kyla. That's actually the invention of the game. No, I that's not know. true. The, that's not safe. Yeah, <laughs> everybody has an inner Kyla. Yeah, I think. I think so. Yeah. But it actually is based on an NC Wit resource, uh, the Critical Listening Guide. Mm-hmm. And so they take this sort of nonsense that people say about like, oh, women need family friendly workplaces, and it's like, oh, because only women have family members. Right. Yeah, I've heard that actually. Really. Oh really. Gosh. Yeah, you did no yeah uh non-female people are not allowed to have uh, loved ones or family members mm, yeah it's a new rule yeah no pets rules. either no, no pets okay no yeah. extra yeah no reason for a family they don't need work-life balance uh, oh yeah it's wild yeah amazing. sarcasm but um yeah <laughs> yeah and so the critical listening guide helps you identify the different patterns of nonsense that come up in these things and so yeah. their yeah. their tagline is just because you hear it or like just because people say it all the time doesn't mean it's true and yeah. help you mm-hmm. deconstruct these things. Right. And yeah. I think practicing those um, is super important. I, You know, when I hear a microaggression or something like this, I feel like I've been punched in the stomach. And then mm-hmm. I often spend like two weeks being like, I should have said this. I should have yeah. said that. I should have said this. And so this is an opportunity to like practice that. That's really cool. That's yeah. so cool. It's super fun. You can download them online. Yeah. CSTeachingTips.org slash tip sheets. <laughs> 
That's really, really amazing. And shout out to NC Wet for providing that. Yeah, yeah NC Wet. Yeah. Yeah, we love our Critical sponsors. listening guide. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. So speaking Thank of... Thank you, Catherine Ashcraft. <laughs> speaking of like toxic situations mm-hmm. and things of that nature, um, we were talking earlier and mentioned that we should kind of deconstruct this idea that what you're doing, this CS education stuff, isn't real computer science. Oh, yeah. Or people will say it for like, oh, programming in Excel isn't real computer science or HTML or front end isn't real computer Mm. science. And so people Mm. are trying to put these walls up and it's just like, oh, no, actually, the beauty of computer science is this super broad field with applications everywhere some of it really just looks like math some of it really just looks like physics some of it really just looks like psychology work yeah Yeah. and so the extent to which we're trying to draw boundaries and say that's not real computer science i think we're just trying to push people away and particularly when the things we're saying are not real computer science are seen as more feminized or Mm -hmm. feminine like oh that's more design work and so that doesn't get to count as computer science i think we are uh, creating less space in computer science and it's inauthentic with the, what the domain really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've heard definitely the criticism with even human computer interaction where you need to be, mm-hmm. you know, you have to know some other field as well as computer science to be yeah. able to, you know, to do well. And people are like, oh, that's not real. You deal with people. That's not real. Yeah. So what about when people say that computer science teaches you how to think? Okay, so uh, (laughs) I'm like, oh, let me sit up. Uh, Yeah, so I think it's really tricky because uh, when I hear that, I often hear this idea that computer scientists are the only people who are thinking, you know, and it's like Mm -hmm. I have these computer science glasses and I like my glasses, but it doesn't mean that this way that I see the world through computer science is necessarily better than any other way of thinking. And we Mm -hmm. sometimes it's easy to fall into this trap that computer science teaches you problem solving. But it's just like, oh, do you know humans, they just problem solve. Do you know what I mean? Because we got a bunch of problems and like (laughs) regardless of the discipline or the life situation, you're problem solving. Uh, And then it doesn't align with actually what we know about how people learn things. So Mm -hmm. I am a terrible problem solver and critical thinker in relation to heart surgery. Do you know what I know (laughs) nothing about? Heart surgery. I'm right there with you. And so it's just like, you know, we in... Sometimes we like to think that people can be general critical thinkers. And it's like, oh, well, you can be a critical thinker if you have content knowledge in the area. And so what people are learning when they're learning computer science is not critical thinking or problem solving. They already have those ideas. What they need to be a problem solver in computer science is they need computer science content knowledge. Right. They need domain Mm. knowledge to solve the problems. That's interesting. So how does this, like, I feel like, I don't know, this may not be real, but like, how does that relate to like some of these ideas of like white fragility or like toxic masculinity or like those types of things where it's like, oh, like I don't want to accept that someone else might be better at something. And I I think these narratives about that's not real computer science or computer science teaches you to think, I think it has this piece of elitism in it, Mm -hmm. which is is creating barriers to access. And I think um, and so I think relates to these broader narratives and patterns of, say, racism. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know. That might be as like uh, good of a tie to white fragility as I can get. But but I think like uh, it's. 
I think it's really important for us to be talking a lot more about uh, race, you know. Um, <clears throat> so as a white person, this can be really scary for me. And I think that's important to admit because like I don't want to I don't want to say the wrong things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just don't. I think, it, I think it's right. bad to like be racist. Like, saying those words, it's like, can I say this? You know? Right. Like, yeah. there's an introspection that I have to have before I come out and, like, make a blanket statement. Or, like, try to tie things together that may or totally. may not be tied together. And totally. And, Jeremy, if you were like, Colleen, you said this thing that was super racist and it had this negative impact on me. My instinct in every core of my being is to be like, Jeremy, I didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. but it's just like that's kind of an absurd thing to say it's like if I stepped on your toe and you're like yo Colleen you stepped on my toe and I'm like I didn't mean to it's just like no just say sorry yeah do you know what I mean like Like, and stepped on my toe I stepped on I I had I you didn't say I had a negative intention you just said I had a negative impact if I said something Mm -hmm. super racist or something with a racist impact then it's helpful to know that and I want to say I'm sorry. And I can say I'm sorry that I had this impact. And in the future, I will read more about this on the internet so I can avoid <laughs> saying this again in the future. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think people sometimes uh, tie the feedback to something intrinsic about them. Totally. And it's like no one's calling you a ist or says you have an ism. It's just this is my feedback about what just happened. I'm not mm. saying that you are at heart this thing. And I think once people can decouple those two. Totally make a lot of progress and I think it's okay that like if say you give me this feedback that I had some negative uh impact I'm gonna be upset yeah but I had a negative impact and so it's like not about how I'm feeling right now and so I just need to hide those emotions do you know what I mean like I'm gonna feel defensive and I'm gonna temporarily and I'm gonna feel uh defensive and I'm gonna feel upset and if I start crying because of this stress which is this pattern Mm -hmm. of what happens and sort of derails the conversation then I'm going to make it about me but it's not about me it's about the the impact of my words Uh, I think this analogy is really helpful of thinking about when you know if my friend has cancer I'm not gonna it's going to be upsetting for me I'm not going to complain to my friend about the fact that they have cancer and how upsetting mm. it is to me. I'm not going to complain to my friend's spouse about how upsetting it is for me that they have cancer. And so this idea from an LA Times article about you dump out. So mm. if you're affected, you can dump on anybody who's further from the affected person. And mm. so as a white person, if I say something racially problematic and someone helps me recognize that, I should go to a white person and be like, I'm so sad and I feel so guilty and I have all these emotions that I need to work through. But I shouldn't be working through those with the people who are helping me recognize them or the people who I've impacted with my words. Right. Because then there's this other tax on that person to say, now only am I affected. Now I have to educate somebody on why I'm affected and all these things. And even just appreciating, like, say you call me out and are helping me recognize how I had a negative impact. Like that takes work. And that was a gift to me. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't want to be racist. You know, and so mm. I think just sitting with a deep appreciation in that mm. moment, be like, oh, this is really cool that somebody will help me be the person I want to be. So Kyla has pulled out like a lot of um, little segments of articles. And one of the things that she highlighted was an article that was um, written for Mashable. And there's a quote in that article that says, white women are constantly choosing their whiteness over their womanhood. Mm hmm. And I think it's really an interesting idea, right? Like, we kind of live in this space right now where, as black women, 
we have a lot of ownership of like this power strength like supporting everyone around us like bringing people together and all of that but Mm -hmm. then like our white counterparts (laughs) with exception (laughs) to you right like seriously with exception to like a few are kind of dropping the ball for us yeah 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 and I think it's really tricky because I it was relatively recently that when I looked in the mirror I saw a white woman and not a woman Mm-hmm. Because in so many of my spaces, I've been aware of my gender identity. You know, I'm there's very few women in my CS classes or something. I'm aware of my gender yeah. identity. Mm-hmm. But there were never times where I became hyper aware of my race. And that was a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was invisible was say, to me. <laughs> yeah. to our world. Must be nice. <laughs> no. And actually, here's yeah. the thing is it's super nice. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's really important uh, to be more conscious of the fact that this dimension of my identity is invisible. So like I was mm-hmm. interviewed for Woe Grammar and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. if you were interviewing a black woman and you would put in her bio that she's like a black woman computer scientist, like I would like you to put that I'm a white woman computer scientist. Do you oh, know what I mean? Yeah. Because it just goes unnamed. People just refer to me as a woman in computer science, mm-hmm. but they would refer to Kyla as a black woman in computer science. Yes, and I'm like, no, no, no. White people also have a race. And part of the system of racism is pretending that white people don't have a race, that that white people are just normal. Or cul- yeah, culture just normal. or anything. Or that. culture, yeah. 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 Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, That's and so I think it's normal to feel like white guilt and anxiety about this and be nervous in these conversations about race because you might say the right, wrong thing and you don't want to and you've never potentially never been forced to think about your race Mm -hmm. or having a racial identity, but it's just like, Oh, read a lot of stuff on the internet or books about racism to like, and maybe like even about like intersectionality, Mm -hmm. right? Like just even understanding what that intersection between your gender identity and your racial identity, what that means. Yeah. The book stamped from the beginning is really cool because it, Mm. it, it talks about the source and origin of various racist ideas. Mm -hmm. And it particularly helps you understand some of the uh, gendered and racial narratives about black women uh, Mm -hmm. that exist now that came from the 1600s to justify particular acts of violence. Wow. I don't know. It's really powerful to, to see the history of them. And I think it gets really well at, at the intersections mm-hmm. of race and gender. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So how do we get more of you? Like how do we <laughs> identify more Colleen's right. in the world? Because Colleen, when I met you a breath of fresh air, I was like, <laughs> she gets it. Like, But it's, she's reading, it. she's doing. <laughs> so my first interaction with Colleen, I don't know if you remember this, but I was at the NCWIT Summit uh-huh. uh, in, was that Denver? I don't know. It was somewhere, and mm-hmm. it was cold. Okay. And you and I were standing outside, and you had already, like, called a ride share. Uh-huh. And you are like, hey, are you going to the airport? Do you want to ride with me? I promise I'm not a murderer. <laughs> like, that's literally, like, how you introduce yourself to me. And I was like... Okay, she seems safe. Like no. <laughs> I'd also seen you like throughout the entire event with yeah. your rolly bag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, sure. And the conversation we had was just—it was so real. Like it was, it was like I've known you my whole life, right? And I, I genuinely talk to people like strangers. We said earlier yeah. how I like to talk to people on Me planes too. if mm-hmm. they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, so it was just one of those things. And then I, I came back here and I was talking, I feel like, to Kyla or someone. And I was like, oh, yeah, I met this person. Her name's Colleen. And their response was, oh, Colleen, I love Colleen. <laughs> and <me>. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you are just one of those people where you're easy to talk to, but then you're also, like, super open to other people and their stories and understanding them. Yeah, and I think my real strength is not thinking about this racism stuff as a good, bad binary that like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just on a journey and I'm going to screw up. Uh, that's in my future. And so I just need to learn how to apologize and apologize effectively. And I need to recognize the limited limits in my perspective, you know. Uh, and a lot of times, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, oftentimes people will be like, oh, my gosh people of color have a fundamentally different experience of the world. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, <laughs> yes. And they're like, I should ask every person of color I know to explain this to me. Oh, no. And I'm like, no, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot of work. Wrong. Wrong. Right. And a lot of people of color have already done this emotional labor and they've mm-hmm. put it on the internet or they've written a book about it. Yeah. Ijoma mm-hmm. Uluo's You Want to Talk About Race. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's really important that you're listening to and reading the uh, words of people of color and recognize using that to help recognize the narrowness of your perspective but you shouldn't be adding that burden on the people of color in your life absolutely that was great and i'm sure i've done that in the past and i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i mean like but like you said it's a it's a it's not a binary good bad thing it's more so of a like this is a conversation can we talk about this yeah so we're on a journey it is it should be seen as a journey and not like an indictment and i think every person has uh, dimensions of their identity and their body that are in privileged and non-privileged positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that provides opportunities where we might screw up and be in a position to apologize. Absolutely. Yeah. And really learn more. Mm-hmm. So Colleen, how do we get more people to have this sort of enthusiasm around being an ally? Like what do, what do you do? I, I mean, I think one piece is making it a safe space to be able to make mistakes and to learn from that. You know, I like I, people will describe a classroom of all black students as diverse. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm sure they are, but they're, they're not racially diverse. Yeah. Do you know what right. I mean? You know, I don't know how they identify, but that's just not what you mean. You're using diverse. Like, people will refer to Kyla, who is one human, as a yeah. diverse computer scientist. And I'm right. like, no, she's a black woman. Do you <laughs> know what like, I mean? This side is purple. This side is pink. Yeah, this yeah. Is, like, or, I am diverse. Or like, <laughs> it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like, a diverse yeah, person. I can't stand when people say that. It doesn't make any sense. And so I think there's a fear about talking about this type of stuff. And yeah. so I think having people practice that and making space where it's like, oh, you might say, something offensive even like you might say oh I don't care what color people are they can come in polka dots and you're like oh people don't come in polka dots <laughs> it's offensive to say that you don't mind if people come in polka dots because they don't come in polka also, dots. also it's weird it's also weird yeah like, okay what? and then my other strategy <laughs> is to trick people so sometimes <laughs> sometimes people aren't gonna care about mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion. They're not going to care about fighting sexism and racism. But can I get them to change their behavior that are aligned with my goals? You know, so if I, if, so can I say, hey, you know, students, if you, if you take a break during class for two minutes, people will learn more and retain more if they care about that. Or mm-hmm. if I can say, you'll get higher teaching evaluations if you mm-hmm. do this. Yeah. And it's some behavior change that can have differential impact for students of color, for generation college students and women. Then I'm like, well, I don't, I might not try to change their mind as long as I can try and make the behavior changes to address sort of the most pressing need in, in students' experience. Ah, mm-hmm. Interesting. Sneaky. 
we know a lot about what you do for work mm-hmm. and what you do on your road show, which I guess is also work. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do for fun? Oh, yeah. I like to eat things. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really fun, it turns out. And but I, you like vegetables. I do like vegetables. Is okay. your favorite color green? Because you have a lot of green I things. have a lot of green, and I didn't, I don't know what my favorite color is. But certainly oh. the CS Teaching Tips stuff is all green. So when I started the project, my students were like, Colleen, you need a logo. And I was like, I need a logo? And they were like, yeah, you need a logo. We'll design oh, it. Gosh. And then they designed it, and it's... Yeah follow us on twitter at cs teaching tips (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so now i've got this green logo and so now i have green cs teaching tips shirts and you know if i could buy a green suitcase i would and (laughs) you know uh, but i don't don't know that you need it i mean there's so much yeah the string lights yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, it's (laughs) already a little extra (laughs) so food i don't know how you get it through the airport actually yeah yeah, that's fair. But I just, um, I really like humans. And so just like getting to sit and chit chat with friends, mm-hmm. um, that's like the best. My family's super, super important to me. Um, getting to chat with them, spend time with them. Aww, yeah. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. What about to relax? I need Yeah. I mean, I like watch a little bit of TV and I like go on walks and I <gasps> eat things and hang out with my friends. <laughs> Yeah, and I sleep. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The most important thing to me in the whole wide world. More than food. More than food. Okay. More than, more than all the things <laughs> is sleep. Because I think if you, if you don't get enough sleep and if you're not on sort of a consistent sleep schedule, then it's hard to think during the day. It's hard to I agree. Uh, yeah. see joy in the little parts of life. I value sleep, too. Me, too. It's the most important thing. And people always told me, like, when I went to declare my major... Someone was like, Colleen, you're a people person. You won't like sitting in a basement, coding all alone until three in the morning. And I was like, I do not want to be awake at three in the morning. (laughs) That is true. But they're wrong about computer science. You get to work together. You don't often have to be in a basement, particularly not when you work in industry. Uh, and right. Most like, places have windows. It's super weird. It's such a And it turns out you don't have to work at three in the morning. People like legit will still tell me that I shouldn't be a computer scientist or can't be a computer science professor because I'm a morning person. I'm just like, what? this makes no sense. <laughs> it's like, stop watching TV. This I isn't just... a movie where the programmer is up, you know, getting into the mainframe at 2 a.m. Like, yeah. that's not real. Yeah. I don't know what those words mean, but yeah. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. Sleep. Sleep. Yes. That's food, my hobby. Food and sleep, people. Yeah. Those are the keys to success. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So how do people find you, you, as well as the CS Teaching Tips? Yeah, I like technically have a Twitter account, but actually the little handle is, this is the Twitter account that I don't use. <laughs> for, but And so the main one I use is CS Teaching Tips. So that's okay. the one that like pings my email. And so we tweet out three tips a day. Oh. So that's the main content you'll see. Uh, but then you can get in touch with me there or just email me my inner as a professor my emails on the internet yeah, yeah yeah cool and the website as you said is csteachingtips.org all right thank you so much colleen yes. thank this you for so coming fun. colleen yeah <laughs> you two are fantastic Aww. i can't believe i got to be on this show we love you <laughs> we love you too as always you can find us on our website at modernfigurespodcast.com where you can also purchase items from our online store Send us questions via email at askus at modernfigurespodcast.com. The podcast is also on social media. Just search for Modern Figures Podcast. And you can find Kyla and I on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla. And I'm at Jeremy Waysa. Until next time, stay hydrated, moisturized, and protect your peace. peace.